The following is a KPV MediaWorks production. Choose your fighter. And we're on. Guys, welcome to another episode of KPV Cast. I'd like to introduce our our guest today. He's a guy who I'm sure a lot of people within the New York City FGC know, Joshua Ponte, J360. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Ralph. Thanks for having me, man. No, thank you for coming by. We really appreciate it. You know, me and Steve here, we're busting our asses. We're the only ones working. Rod at, Rod's at home sleeping. So what, what, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> so as usual, first question right off the bat, how did you get into competitive fighting games? Competitive fighting games. Yeah. Well, you know what? How about yeah. how, how about this? Let, let, let's do it this way. You're an arcade kid, right? You you grew up during arcades, didn't you? Well, yeah. I, I got I got a full map for you, my friend. Well, let's go. Let's let's start with that map. Where are we gonna start? So the primordial ooze of '90s fighting games is the bodega. That's, <laughs> That's where right. I <laughs> the bodega. So. I used to live down in the Lower East Side near near Chinatown Fair. Actually, I lived oh, like really? two blocks away on Mott Street. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I didn't know about Chinatown Fair. Uh, I used to go with my dad to this bodega that was across the street from our house called Darios. Uh, uh, was it guy that, was it Darios numero uno or numero dos? Because you know all those delis always have a number after them. <laughs> it was actually numero uno. <laughs> 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 no, it was Darios numero uno. It's funny you say that. That's cool. <laughs> um, but we, uh, I would go in there. And he had Street Fighter 2. Uh, and, you know, I would play it. Like, like, my dad would give me, like, a quarter to go play a game. So, like, I'm playing. I'm getting I'm getting beat up by, like, all the kids older than me. And then, like, I wouldn't really play it much. But then I think this is where my cheapness began. One day I went back and he had Rainbow Edition. And I didn't know what it was. Not doing, doing a tiger. A tiger. He was doing that and, like, six fireballs would come. Yes, out of it. I, I remember like, that. I remember E Honda, the hundred slaps and Hadoukens will come. I'm like, wait, what game is this? What are we doing yeah, here? Sonic, 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 <laughs> a lot of that. And I was like, whoa, what is that? So that I was hype about. And I, I was, I remember beating the guy that usually beat me. Um, and he was like, yeah, you're beating me because this is this is a cheap version. And I was like, whatever. I was like five, <laughs> five or six. You know what I mean? Right. So, from that point on, um, I didn't get to play Street Fighter 2 for a long time because that that uh, bodega got raided because it was a drug front for the mafia. Ooh, nice. then, <laughs> Are we supposed to be saying that kind of stuff here? I hope they don't catch us. Whoops. <laughs> well, the, the whole crime family is out. Don't All right, cool. It. Sweet. Thanks. Uh, but there, it was, it was, there was a big raid on it, so I didn't get to play Street Fighter 2 for another few years uh, until I moved in with my mom and my my. Uh, my brother in the Bronx. Right. So there he, my brother uh, actually used to rent from this place called video star search that had, uh, we used to live on elder Avenue um, and he had street fighter two. I'll never forget the way that looked street fighter two. It was Chung Lee kicking and Blanco doing yeah. the ball. Oh, with that, like, with that Chung- face. It's like, yeah, come on, bitch. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the really odd one. So, my brother really got me into competitive fighting games at that point. I used to play, I was maybe 
eight or nine and i used to play my brother's eight years older than me so his friends were like 17 they had been playing fighting games longer than me so i learned playing those guys so at one point um i couldn't win for a very long time and then eventually i just started actually winning because i started i was the kid that would grab i was the kid that, that would like go for sweeps a lot like and uh they knew how to beat those tactics but people in the arcade didn't really take too likely to that um so so uh like from playing them and then playing at my local pizzeria, like Mortal Kombat 1, I, I got hooked. Hooked. Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat 1. Hooked. So like I, I've always had a competitive nature when playing games, but I didn't really join any scene. You know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of us kind of connect in that way where we go to the bodega because we wanted to beat somebody. Like yes. we went there to play the game and win. You know, so... The bodega, that was the... The, the bodega was, um, you know, the holy land. And it, it, any bodega on the planet had an arcade. If you didn't have an arcade, that basically was less uh, less money you're going to be bringing in. Another income stream. Another yes. revenue stream. If you had a bodega, a laundromat, a pizzeria, you had to have a, a, an arcade cap. You mentioned your brother. You got competitive because of your brother. Yeah. Uh, how How competitive were him and his friends? You know, obviously you're younger than them. You're seeing these guys just as like, yeah, go, what, 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 why is everybody getting angry? Why is everybody getting hype? Like, how competitive were they? You know, did they were they at each other's throats all the time? I mean, obviously in a friendly way, but explain, explain, explain. You know, the way they competed <laughs> against each other, yelling at each other, cursing at each other. Here's a little kid, and he's like, so, okay, cool. I mean, the shit talk has always been there, right? It's always been there. These are guys that like, they, they didn't take losing lightly but that's what made them really good is that my brother would get upset when he lost and like they'd talk shit to each other but mainly what would happen is that they would when the next time that they come across each other like playing again like the next day um they'd have tactics they'd really try to figure out how they lost and there were no videos they were just like what happened what happened how to keep losing and i would hear my brother talk to himself and I'd see them do the same thing. They always had a, some weird little tactic that would beat each other the next day, right? Um, then I got to the point where I would go with them to the arcade and that, you know, the bodega, the pizzeria, the laundromat, that was the hood FGC. Like, that's the <laughs> FGC before, before, you know, you could make it to Chinatown Fair or anything like that. But people would wait in line to play against my brother. And he would he would beat lines of people, and he was also a guy, unfortunately, in the area who had been into many fights as a kid. But he's he's he was like legendary on the block, so nobody really spoke shit to him. Right? They talked shit about him far away, but they never said anything to him. And he wasn't one that looked for it, but it happened. Right, right, just, right. But you know, he he was respected in that sense, and I used to see that, and I'm like, oh man, like. That, that he's he's like really he's the king up there and you know like the more they would like the the more intense the shit talk got the better they got and i never i didn't understand why that was happening as a kid until i got into the fgc later on but they were determined like at each other's throats like like you were saying but yeah. in a way where you know obviously like sometimes they would say things a little too personal <laughs> because they, somebody would get hurt but like not physically of course but you know, that's what made them really good. Um, but I was never like that. 
I was always around it, but I was never like that. How important is it to have a sibling, younger or older, especially, you know, with fighting games or any games in general, just to have that competition because it drives you. I look at, you know, the most famous brothers that I know is the, the Dominican brothers, CD, CD Jr. and Maxter. You know, a lot of people don't a lot of people don't know that, you know, especially now since everybody could play online. But even back then, how important was it for you to have a sibling who took games competitively and basically showed you showed you the way? Hey, look, this could be played competitively. We could go to arcades. We could, you know, we could, you know, we might get into a few fights. I had a brother, but he never he, he never took video games seriously like I did. And that somewhat mm -hmm. hindered me when it comes to competition, because, you know, arcades were dying, but. Again, how important is it to have a sibling who's 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 really into it and like you said, he basically showed you the way? I think I think having a sibling to play with within your age range is a huge advantage. Um because even if you guys don't know how to even if you don't know about the FGC or competitive wise, you you have somebody to compete against and you, you could think about it if you have two people that are driven, two people that want to best each other at all times, they're constantly going to find ways to beat each other and they'll play more of the cast. Like you'll have people that play like lots of the cast. You know, not everybody has patience to lose and keep trying to get better, nor do they have the patience to play a video game. You know what I mean? But um, I feel like it's it's a pretty – if you look at the, the Dominican brothers, it's like all three of them play completely different archetype characters. Yes. All three of them. But they've all tried the merry-go-round and they have their own tier list. They have their own squabbles, but they're all incredible. And it's like the same. If you look at like, um, if you look at the, uh, the Terry brothers, like Denzel yes, yeah. and his brother, like, like they, they're incredible. And it's just two guys for a long time. They only played each other. Uh, DJT. In, and what's the other one's name? MIT. Okay. Malik Malak as they, they call him. <laughs> but yeah, Denzel and Malik. Yeah. So like they they're both incredible and they they mainly just had each other. I mean I mean they they joined the FGC, they played people in the FGC, but primarily they played each other the same way the, the Dominican brothers did. My brother and I um played all the way up until Marvel 2 and uh CVS 2. Yes. He with, he played with me up until like 2002. Um and CVS 2 he was really good. NBC 2 wasn't as much his cup of tea because I guess uh, there was too much happening, but he was really good for the time. Um, so he really, really pushed me to better understand what it is to overcome an opponent, uh, an opponent that knows how you play. They know what you go for. They play you all the time. It's like an AI learning from another AI, right? That's essentially what we are as brothers. Of course. But I think it's a huge bonus to have somebody to play without having to go to the arcade and spend money at that time it was money now you don't have to do that but um i think it's it was the 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 very beginning i guess like the best that we had at the time as opposed to people having really good net play now you know yeah. like you have net now you have a friend you could play on you guys are always on at the same time just the same so you go I asked Shock this as well, and I want to get your opinion of it. You, you're home. You're playing, you know, Super Nintendo. The ports, we know they were not that good. 
How did the transition from console to arcade, obviously much stronger hardware, game is faster. Did it hinder your development and, you know, going to an arcade, coming off of the console, which again, it was slower, but then you go on over to, you know, much more powerful hardware. And also the fact that it's a different environment. You, You have people, like you said, that could be at your neck. Um, you know, it's yep. like get get angry. Like, how 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 did you adjust? Well, at first, also it was in the '90s. I'd say like it was like the dark time of the arcade era, where the arcades were so new in terms of having a lot of fighting games. I used to go to places like um, Excess New York. I don't know if you remember that. I don't think I remember um, that one though. So there there were a few really big arcades in Forty Second Street. I'm talking about. Like things that look like straight out of movies, like the Thunderdome, a stage with like. Well, I remember six mainly arcade. Broadway Arcade. That's the one I mainly remember down there. Yeah. Well, Broadway Arcade closed because everybody kept getting into fights there. But <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the other place, Excess New York, was where Red Lobster is now. Okay. On Second Street. So, yeah. yeah. Basically, um, it was so different because people used to get into literal fights. And it was a, a really weird. Thing for me to get into and like I don't think many people speak about this other than like James MK he'll tell you about this all day but like you do the wrong thing in the game if you get a throw they're gonna want their throwback right because throws used to take like half life yes they're like give me my throwback and like literally like somebody would get thrown if, if they didn't get a throwback and it was as a kid I'm going into it and I'm like what is what is like these guys are these guys are childish. I'm a kid saying these guys are childish. Yeah, these what are adults doing this, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, at this point, I wasn't with my brother anymore. He, you know, my brother was uh, working full time. He was doing a lot of other things. So I was going all, all to these things on my own. And I remember the first time I touched an arcade cabinet as opposed to, uh, like, in a long time, as opposed to, like, console. It felt slower. And I was just like, whoa, like this. And, like, I didn't have a controller either. I got used to playing on controllers. Um Arcade felt slower. That's because it does appear slower, uh, but that's just because it has no frame drops. Right. So, like, you have frame drops, things appear faster. But, um, you know, it was it was weird because it just felt like I could never get things that I wanted out. And I always blamed myself until I learned until I learned the neat trick where you blame the hardware, and <laughs> <laughs> you always have an excuse for your losses. That was a really good one, but. Um, it was uh, it was cool experiencing arcades again, but it was really odd um, because things just were different. Um, you were no longer in the comfort of your own home. You were no longer like keeping the volume down to not wake anybody. Yes, you're in a place where it's like Capcom, like that's blaring in your ear. There's like guitars over here. There's all types of things going on. And you had a, a new overstimulus that you had to get used to, to perform. Like I'm, I'm playing in a place because I used to play in a bodega. Those are quiet. This is a loud concert venue is what it feels like when you're in those. So I got super nervous. I underperformed terribly. I, I could never play as, as good as I knew I was because I was just always around lots of noise, lots of people, strangers that would talk shit. And I, I didn't know who they were. And I did terrible. I did really bad in the beginning. Was it because you may uh, have been intimidated? I mean, you said it yourself, your brother, 
you know, tough guy. He grew up, you know, fighting. Was, were you, was it maybe because you were a little bit intimidated? Older brother's not here to help me out in case somebody wanna, might want to punch me? Or... Yeah, that could, that could be part of it, like, for sure. And there were times I was with my grandfather. I didn't want anything to happen while I was with my grandfather. You know what I mean? And also but... another thing that you didn't mention is you, uh, another factor we're going to arcades is how much money do I have in my pocket and how do I make it last? <laughs> You know, because yeah. the machines do not give you change like telephones Telephones did back then, the old toll phones. You put your quarter in, and you want it to stay on that machine as much as possible, even though it might mean that you're going to piss off a few people. You have to stretch those 50 cents. You have to sometimes that dollar, because the, depending where you played in Times Square, Marvel 2 at one point was a dollar. Yes, it was. In, in, in Times Square, it was uh, absurd. Absurd. You could get it 25 cents anywhere else with the damage all the way up. But, you know, like, I'd rather play that. But, you know, like, depending on where you went, it's like, my, when my grandfather was around, by the way, my bankroll was, like, way higher. <laughs> because, you know, my, my abuelo would come by, and, you know, I'd be like, hey, like, I need, can I get another $5? He'd be like, of course. Like, give me five bucks. But when you're, when you're, like, by yourself in, like, civilization, you have $4 in your pocket. You're about, you're not too far from home, but you got enough to maybe eat a pizza. And if if you get a drink with that pizza, you can only play two games and you got to stretch those games out. It's the economics, arcade economics is rough when you're a kid and you have like four bucks. So you got to get really good. And if if you're not, if you don't have any incentive to do well, you will when you barely have any money. Of course. You know, and that, that's the thing. That's what made it even more competitive is that you needed to stay on. You had to. Well, like, now, like you said, you, you've gone back to an, um, to an arcade after a hiatus because uh, you had to move and all that good stuff. And like you said, you're now in an environment where it's just loud. There's lights, you know, you could sometimes barely hear somebody walking behind you. Um, yeah. Like you said, you knew sometimes your life may be in danger. You were there with your grandfather. So what was it like when all that just went away, when the arcade scene died? Um, you know, you love this. It's like this is my go-to place where it's, it's somewhat like a sanctuary, if, if you want to look at it that way. So, so I'm sorry? That's – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Are you finished? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yes. I'm sorry. It's That's a pretty long one because – for me, that was my reality up until 2004. 2004 is when I started playing at CF. CF was what completely changed my entire perspective on playing video games, period. Um, that was the first time I had gone to an arcade where I felt it was home. It was like my home arcade. Um, I made a lot of friends. A lot, most of my very good friends that I still have today, I met at CF, oddly enough. I've had the same friends for like 16 years. Um, but it all changed because that was the most intimidating place I went, but I never felt in, like my life was in danger because that was the first time I went to an arcade where everyone was hyper competitive and it was no holds barred. These I saw all kinds of tactics and no one, no one, no one. Like, people got physical. That's just regardless. That is, an idiot is going to get that way no matter what, right? Regardless of what 
situation you put them in. But at CF, like people showed really high caliber gameplay, and I got to see it for the first Arturo Sanchez, one of the first people I saw play at CF. Desmond Pinckney, one of the first people I saw play at CF. I played Arturo without knowing who he was in, in CBS too, and that's when I, that's mainly what I played. He kicked my ass. So, like, I saw what it was to be in a place like that, and I was like, oh man, I want to keep coming here. So, when I started going there, I all of that was lifted. All of a sudden, I felt like I was in a place where I could perform better, but I, I had to perform better to even keep up with anybody there because every no one wanted to lose. Everyone was intimidated the same way, so it just felt normal. At that point, I was like, okay. Well, yeah, the you know? big difference is, and a lot of people always have to remember, you know, Broadway Arcade, uh, the place you used to go to, a lot of places in Yonkers where I live, the bodegas, th those were places where people went. It's like, hey, look, you know, there's an arcade here. They, in a mm -hmm. weird sense, it's almost like a casual setting. And yes, yes there would yeah. be fist fights. Yes, there would be drunk people because, again, Broadway Arcade, it's a different, it, it's a different kind of customer compared to something like CF. CF, yeah. the, 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 competitor, the, the competitive gamers made it their home. Like you said, you went there and you just felt different. It's like, okay, look, maybe I may get into a tussle here, but that is so far down the line in everybody else's mind. They're here to compete. They're here because we're all competitors. Sure, somebody might get drunk. Somebody might get punched. Somebody, you know, might get tossed out. But at the end of the day, like you said, Chinatown Fair you went in there completely different vibe and you like you said you you just met some of the biggest competitors the city had to offer right i've always been super lucky super lucky i mean i'm talking about like not everybody gets these opportunities i had any game i ever played was always with like the best players <laughs> like <laughs> of that moment right it's like i went there i made friends with with Sanford, Sanford was one of the guys that I would play with every single day, Marvel 2. My friend Nelson, may he rest in peace, he was one of the, the people that was like a really, really big uh, personality um, when it came to it. And him and I started at the arcade at the same time, but I was around with him. And then my training partners became Yipes, Sanford, like Desmond, like people like that. And I got, re and Chris Matrix, who to this day is still my training partner. But like I... I got a chance to play with those kinds of people. So I learned from them. Then in MK9, I met some Dominican kid in Brooklyn when I went to a random <laughs> tournament known as CB Jr. It turns out we live down the block from each other and I practiced with him and his brothers for that. You live down like, the block just, from them. That's funny. Yeah, I live down the block from them. So it was, it's, I've been fortunate. But, you know, like, it's like CF, like you said, is a place where people would travel a great distance to go. Most of the people that went there lived nowhere near there. Like you had your, your locals, like Chris G was a local to, to, to that place. I was a local because I would stay with my grandparents on nights where I would go there late because they lived pretty close. But, you know, like for the most part, people would be traveling from deep Brooklyn, the Bronx, a lot of people from the Bronx, mm -hmm. um, because they wanted to like really feel what it was to be in a competitive spirit without getting into a real fight well i know and, from experience you know a lot of people from westchester as well and i'm talking about deep parts of westchester i mean I, yeah. I i know i mean i work in mount kisco right now and i know i knew a few people that went from mount kisco bedford hills white plains and it's like they just want to experience that competitive that competitive scene because that was the competitive scene to go to yeah absolutely and like for me 
arcades died when CF closed for me. I think for many of us in New York. So like that was a place where I met one of my friends who lives in Vegas now, Buck. Uh, he was from New Rochelle. And I met like people in New Rochelle. I used to go there. I used to go to the arcade in Yonkers as well in the Nathan. Yes. Um, so I used to frequent all of those. But I met a lot of my really good friends there. So once that place closed, um, it closed at a time where we mainly went to CF as kind of a, uh, a meeting ground to then later on go to our friend Nelson's house or Blue Jay's house. May he rest in peace as well. Both of them are crazy that I'm even saying that, but um, we would all meet up there to then go play console somewhere else. So the arcade at that point was still for like big money matches that we would have just in play, you know, things you wouldn't normally do in somebody's house. But it, it, once it closed, it was, it was pretty sad because there was a, a pretty strong community there. Was the um, writing on the wall that it was going to close? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it had been the same for a while. Um, but it happened in 2009 um, when it started getting bad. Once Street Fighter 4 came out with Netplay, people stopped showing up to the arcade to practice. You know, like 2000, the, the 2009 era is, is what really killed arcades for us here in the U.S., period. Because once, once Netplay became a big thing, um, it really it really put a damper on it. And once the arcades closed, that same drive to like go to some place and meet up and eat and like do all these fun things in this one place and like really, really try to like better yourself there kind of died because then it just started turning into like, we'll just play online tomorrow. Well, online, like, online, what it offers is, is we all get older, life gets in the way. And oh, yeah. so, sometimes we can't afford to, go down and support this arcade that we love so dearly online, even though it may have some lag spikes or so, if you know you're playing with somebody within your region, within the city, it's not going to be that bad. So that's what it offered. It's like, again, life gets in the way and the, the writing was on the wall. So yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, it's a, don't get me wrong. It's the biggest plus for the FGC period for any gaming community online with good net play right now is the best thing we could have asked for because even me as an adult like you know we've all grown up like we 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 all have like our apartments i still meet with like my friends once like whenever we have the chance we'll go somewhere and like we'll be at one person's house and we'll like still play in an intimate center like it's like six of us um because there's nothing like that but you know we all we're all adults we all have different schedules and if the only way we could play online is online then we'll just do that and like i talk to most of my friends every day online and it's the best thing that has happened at that time, it really wasn't because, you know, at that time it was like it, things went down. The technology wasn't all that great yet. And people just, we just didn't know what to do because it was so new. Um, me coming from a PC background, I've always played online. Like I used to play uh, Unreal Tournament and Quake 3 a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I used to really enjoy that. So like to hear that I could get back to that, I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. But the camaraderie is kind of missing from large social gatherings so we still try to do that now and but it's changed you know the whole landscape has changed we have discord now which is amazing this is the craziest application that's ever come out to me honestly because this is what irc was trying to be like 20 years ago 
you know, and like it's slaughtered everything on the market. <laughs> and here we are, me and you talking over a video and conducting an interview. Uh, yet, you know, another friend that I met playing video games. You right. know what I mean? And this this is the cool thing about like what it's done. And I I'm I'm happy it's evolved the way it has. I am. I do miss you know the old the old days of that. I do. How good were but, you at Quake and Unreal? I was really good. <laughs> Quake, not so much. Quake, I, I, if you're, if you're godlike, there's still four thousand people better than you. <laughs> In Unreal Tournament, I was, I was very good, very, very, very good. Were you any good at Counter Strike? Hell no, <laughs> bro. When it came to team-oriented games, no. Like capture the flag in Unreal Tournament was enough for me, right? Like then having to get used to like CS. Oh, I used to play CS in 1.6. Oh, that's First what game I, I ever did. Yes, one point six CS is like the greatest game ever. Although I ain't gonna lie, my favorite mod for that game was always Team Fortress. It's just the, the game always cracked me up. I, I, I bought Team Fortress too. Oh, definitely great and, game. Quick question yeah, about. Actually, oh, I'm sorry. No, go, no, ahead. Go, ahead. no, no, go ahead. Say finish your thought there. Thing for Team Fortress. Uh, fun fact: I got Marvel Three uh, two weeks before it came out. Um. <laughs> I returned it to a GameStop a week before it came out because I hated the game. <laughs> and I bought Naruto, Ninja Storm 3, and um, Half-Life, the orange box that came with uh, Team well, Fortress all three games, two. yes. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, give me those. Yeah, that was like the best deal ever right there, the orange box. But going <laughs> back real quick, one final thing on Chinatown Fair. I yeah. went down there a couple of times, you know, played a few SNK games. When I was able to get on the Marvel 2 machine, which was, yeah, th those lines were incredible. But I, a, lot of pe a lot of things people say, you know, maybe people who didn't frequent it as much, that it felt very clickish in there. That sometimes maybe some people just gave off a vibe that, you know, you're kind of an outsider, you're not here all the time. Like, why are you here? What do you say to people who think that a Chinatown fair, that it was very cliquish, that sometimes it didn't feel very friendly at all? Well, what, what do you say to those people? I say that I can understand why it would seem that way coming from, from elsewhere. Um, but a new setting is always intimidating if you know absolutely no one, right? And there are plenty of groups of people in there that all hung out. But one thing I, I will tell you is that although there were all these different cliques, none of them excluded the others. Nobody ever, like, like you know, naturally, in a, when you have more than three people in one setting, there's going to be two people that don't like each other, right? That's just yeah. math, right? That's just how it's always going to be. But you never got the sense of, like, a turf war or, like, a group of people that take the stoop and they don't want anyone else to have the stoop or like the people that are playing on the marble machine don't want you to go anywhere near it. That's not the case. Like it just, it seemed that way to me when I first got there. So I, I can agree with the sentiment on face at face value, but when you actually get to know people there, like it was a bit hard at first to really get into it because if you haven't proven yourself yet in an area where people are hyper competitive, then no one's interested in who you are, right? That's just what it is. And I used to see it as like, I've always been a guy that it doesn't matter where I work, where I am. You could be the owner of a company. You could be the CEO, an investor. I'm going to say hi to you. And I expect you to, to, to acknowledge that I just did that. I expect you to say hi to me back. And it's like, 
I'll say it every single, I will kill you with kindness every day and I will never feel awkward about it. So that's how I was a CF. I went in, I didn't really know anybody. I, Nelson was like really the big personality, but for the most part, it's just like, you go into a setting and they're really, really good. They're all like professional level gamers at that point, but that doesn't make them any different. And like when you go in there and if you lose to them, fine, you're another guy. But if you show up, there were so many people that showed up that sucked at games. They sucked at Marvel 2, but they played every day. So everyone had nicknames. So they were still part of like the, the family. Like it wasn't like you didn't have to be really good. But if you were really good, you definitely got more stage time. I'll say that. Like they would clear the cabinet for a money match between two of the really good players talking smack. But like if it was like two Josh Moes, they'd be like, yeah, get out of here. We're going to keep playing. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's just a bunch of teenagers. You know what I mean? Like, yes. But I do understand. I do understand that. But in terms of like actually being clickish, I wouldn't say that. You have your dance game players and you have your fighting game players. Then you have like the the the, the weeaboos that don't really do anything, but they're just there to wear anime shirts, and it's just, it's cool. It's an ecosystem that needs it, each one needs the other two to like really like to survive. Homeostasis, you know what I mean? Like it's. But I, I understand that at face value, but I'd say that it, it, it really wasn't like that. And unfortunately, there are places that are like that, but CF wasn't one of them to me. Money matches. A lot of money matches happened at that place. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to go into detail, but, you know, what kind of figures one of the big... It, what, what kind of figures the biggest money match you were ever there to witness in person? Like six figures, four figures... You know, g give us some idea about how much money got exchanged in that place, specifically in Marvel 2. So six-figure money matches weren't really a thing at the arcade. Um, those all happened in, like, the Neo era of Marvel 2, where, like, and, and, like, Fnatic and those guys. But for the most part, I'd say, I'd say the most expensive one I saw was a $600 money match. But the thing is that people would play several hundred dollar money matches right back to back run backs um but you you also have to keep in mind that these are also the very same people who don't want to lose 50 cents at the arcade cabinet right like you had your people like eddie lee who were like in, in investing and they had a lot of money so they could go there and blow money but he wasn't a person that bet money like that it were it was the people that had like 101 dollars to their name that we're gonna play a $100 money match. And they had a dollar to, to like put in to start playing. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we'd get free play for it, but those very same people, I guess it wasn't about the amount of money, but it was more so like the percentage of their wallet that they played with. I've seen many people play with 100 or 200% of their wallet. So it was tons of $100 money matches. I mean, all the time, all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally on a Friday, Saturday night, you couldn't be on the big cabinet if you weren't playing for at least five bucks. For five bucks, okay. Hey, listen, that's not better better than a hundred. Yeah, yeah. No, the bigger ones happened way later on. So like, you I'll, you know you go down to Chinatown and you said like you said you you that's your new home. You make a lot of friends. That's where you level up your game. Around that time, I mean, you know, uh, what was it you said? 2003, 2004, that's when you headed down there. Yeah. Big, big offline events are not, you know, they weren't nothing like we have now. Yeah. So it, if you can explain to, to some of our viewers, what were events like back then? 
I'm sure you guys all carpooled, you know, went over to, I don't know if you were around for the East Coast Championships or maybe you went yeah. down to, oh, you were. So, yeah. you, you know, it, it explain some, some, some of those, you know, offline, well, I mean, by all means, Chinatown Fair was an offline event. <laughs> you actually go yeah, play yeah. in the cab. But there you go. Explain your experience, you know, give us a give us an idea of your experiences where you tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to get out of this arcade. I'm going to go down to Philly. I'm going to go to Jersey. I'm going to go into different grounds I've never been to. I'm with my friends. We're all there. You know, it's a big tournament. It's nothing like Chinatown Fair. We're we're probably seeing some of the best players in the tri-state. Give us an idea of, you know, what goes through your mind knowing that you're going to take this next step. For sure. I mean, so like I used to play at Chinatown Fair with uh, some people that have only exclusively played at Chinatown Fair. We had players there that like could beat like most of the players that play like even now, right? But the at that point, I kept hearing about these tournaments. So there would be weekends where I would go to Chinatown Fair and I'm there on a Saturday. I'm ready to like see all the same guys and none of them were there. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, I remember... I, it was the Evo, and I think it was Evo 2004, um, where Justin got parried by Daigo, um, like, all, like, whatever. like Evo it, moment it, it, 37, I believe. Yeah, right? So that weekend, I had got, I had went to the arcade because I was hyped to play people, and there was nobody there. There were, like, two people. What the hell is this? Like, where did everybody go? And then I hear about evil and that video went up really fast i mean really fast at a time where you wouldn't find like videos like that so i remember seeing that video and going whoa holy shit what happened like damn like justin got bodied what was that and not to like, mention <laughs> you know nobody's ever seen something like that in third strike you know we know we could parry but something like that in a tournament level especially of evil's caliber is like what the fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, one of the most significant, probably the most significant moment in any fighting game ever. But um, we, like, he came, when he came back, it was a few days later, Justin and I, like, I would see Justin all the time because he lived pretty close to Chinatown Fair also. I lived closer, but um, him and I would be there around some of the same times. So I'd see, I saw him the weekend after. I said, what happened? He goes, I didn't think he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, like he was, he was down on. He was playing Marvel Two against the CPU by himself, and I, was, I said, "What the hell?" I said, "I didn't." That was godlike. He goes, "I know." So like, you know, like I, I was like, but like I, that's where I heard about Evo at that time, and I was just like, "Oh, so this big tournament happened, and all these people left to go there." So then I remember asking um, a few people. Um, I, I was going to some of the Saturday tournaments, and I'm like, "When's the next?" tournament that you guys are going to like i want to be down you know like that like like i, I want to be there i want to be part and, of the cool kids yeah please <laughs> like but they were like uh oh there's this tournament uh ecc so i was like oh okay like uh where's it at they're like in new jersey vanilla it's like oh okay it's like but you know they at that time what i didn't know was that they were going to jersey pretty much every week to play um Eight at the eight on the break had tournaments weekly for Marvel too. Right. So it was like Infinite and Desmond going there every week, and there were also tournaments in Philadelphia that people were going to on Wednesdays. So these guys were traveling an hour and a half, two hours each way to play these tournaments. 
And I had no idea what was going on. I was just in college at the time and I would go to CF right at 12 on the dot. So once they told me about that, I said, all right, you know what? I, I, I kind of, I want to be in these, but like, how the hell do I get to them? And they'd be like, oh, you got to like take this train there. They, nobody would ever be like, just come with us. They'd be like, yeah, just take this train there and get there and ask for this guy and then take a cab to this block. I'm like, G- all right. GPS didn't exist at the time, right? You had one of those big folding <laughs> maps. It's like, okay, go here. <laughs> So basically, um, in, during the very same tournament, I actually met my friend Amir, uh, who Shock knows as well. Um, I, I met him and this other guy, Bert, at the tournament. He was one of the people I played. And he was like, yo, like, where do you live? I was like, I live in the Bronx. He goes, I'm in Riverdale. Let, like, let's, let's practice. He had a car. So at this point, he was just like, hey, we're thinking about going to ECC. Do you want to go? I said, yes. So... I started going to tournaments because I met him and he had a car. So he, we would drive to all these tournaments. And the very first tournament we went to was ECC at eight on the break. Um, and it was insane. I had never seen, like, it was a year where there were people from the West Coast there. There was like Combo Fiend and, and like, and uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Potter and like all these people that like never go to the East Coast. And I just saw, a whole world of people I didn't know and I was nervous all over again, right? I already knew I wasn't good enough to hang with anybody, but I was nervous on top of that. And I'm like, damn it. Like, so seeing that setting for the first time was intense because it felt like that first time I stepped into the arcade when I was a kid and I heard all these blaring noises and all this. It was like that because now instead of the same 20 guys, it was like 60 guys really because including the Jersey guys, it was so hot. You had to like stand on like an arcade cabinet to see the arcade cabinet that they were playing on. And it was just like eight mile up in there. Like it was crazy. And I was, I was totally blown away by like just the sheer amount of people that go to those. And then the things that would happen, we'd all go eat the amount of like chilling that you get to do with people that you've never seen before. Like, like you become cool with somebody there. Everybody goes to eat. Or you're sitting someplace eating and you see a guy over there. Like I, I like I think I saw. Uh, forgot I forgot who uh, Josh Wong from Philly. Right. He was sitting uh, like in this Chinese restaurant. I was eating across from him. And I was like, dude, I really like like your cable play. It was crazy. It was like, thanks, man. Like from that point on, I I made another like acquaintance that I got to know at that point. So like I started speaking with more people while I was there, and I made a lot of like connections. And it was dope. And. From then on, I tried to make it to more tournaments, but I only stuck to the East Coast tournaments because I had a car. I didn't have a lot of money to take a plane. You know what I mean? I, I could barely do the train. So um, people would go through great lengths. There were, and I'm not going to name any names, but there was even a person who rode in a trunk because there was no space <laughs> in the corner for them to get to a tournament. That's called dedication. You know, they rode in the it wasn't them like four by four trunks. It was the the baul, the shit that closes, and you're, you're inside, no air. Like, and the so, wheel is there, you know, taking up like almost all the space, right? And you're feeling every bump <laughs> the whole way. You mentioned something but, that um, I actually recently mm-hmm. found a channel on YouTube that actually has a lot of those old ECC um tapes, and. There's something you mentioned, a, a lot of people, I mean, not a lot of them, but some players from the West Coast, maybe some some from the, the Midwest also came. 
And I'm not going to say I'm an expert on it, but, I mean, I don't know what kind of prize money that we're playing with, but I feel sometimes, I'm watching these videos, they don't really play for prize money. It's more about the camaraderie. It's like, you know what? Let's go to the East Coast. Let, let's get some of our best players from the West or from the Midwest. Let's go over there. And like you said, you, you know, you see some of these guys, it's like, oh, my God, wow, there's Josh, you know, there's Josh Wong. And you talk to them, and you realize, hey, you know what? They are humans, you know, the, yeah. they're enjoying the thing that I love to do as well. So, you yeah. know, if you could explain that to some people, like, like you said, it's, it really is dedication. Like the guy in the trunk, what was the dedication like for those guys who literally took a plane all the way over from Cali to New York to play in a video game tournament that they probably were not going to get their money back for their, for their plane ticket. Again, it's just, they're doing mm -hmm. it for the love. Explain that to some people. That's a great, great thing to bring up. Wow. So like, I mean, all this dedication, all of us having this really strong desire to compete, none of us expected to beat Justin or Sanford. And then when Yipes came on the scene, forget it. Like, even in CBS too, you had like your high, and, and third strike, you had your really dominant players. And people traveled anyway, right? Because it was just this thing where like, even Justin, who would win every tournament, the prize pools were nothing like what we have now prize pools then were a few hundred dollars sometimes you'd win like 400 500 bucks at like a 60 man tournament where that other hundred go who knows but like you it's it's it was not as much about the money as it was about like the real competitive drive and i feel like that's kind of shifted um in a better direction because at that point, we traveled because we knew that there were people that we can beat that we haven't had a chance to play yet, right? Like, we, like I know I can beat this person. I know I'm good. Like, I want to be able to prove myself because at the end of the day, East comes, the East Coast and the West Coast meet up, and we all have a body count, and, and then we reconvene. And then the East Coast talks about, like, damn, yo, you really handled that guy from the West Coast. Like, it's... It was more so of like bragging rights after, or the other one where you eliminated your homies, like y'all bodied your shit and, and sent you home. Like <laughs> they gotta hear that until the next time that tournament comes around. They gotta eat that. But like that was like it. It was in no way putting anyone down. It was just kind of like lifting each other up in in a weird masochist way, where like having the bragging rights to shit talk somebody would always result in everyone getting better. And that's what we did. We kept it really competitive, hyper competitive to the point where like none of us expected to, to win. If you didn't get top three, it didn't mean anything, anything. That's why when this whole top eight thing started, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, but I still feel like I lost. I didn't win the tournament. <laughs> you know, like I didn't get first, second or third. And it's it, it was all like like you said, it was like really more about that. And I do feel, though, to be fair that the current competitive scene is healthier for more people to be a part of. Because I feel that a majority of the people that go to these things, they have that moment where they feel they're in their best form, they wanna win, but they also look forward to whatever happens after their tournament is done, right? Because like whether or not they win or lose, they're there with their friends. Like they, they, they've traveled great lengths to meet up with these people that they've been speaking with online. Like it's, 
it's a really beautiful thing to see where we have so many people that are there to support, to show the hype. But at the end of the day, if they didn't win, they're there because they're there for every, for each other. Like everyone's there to do that. But I also feel that that kind of competitive spirit is a little more plateaued in what we have now because we enjoy it, right? It's like all you could do with those other tournaments before was like, if you lose, all right, get drunk and like everything's closed. So whatever, there were no events, there were no FGC this or FGC that everybody was just like, all right, time to talk smack and play, I don't know, CeeLo. But like, <laughs> it's like, it was, it was one of those things where it was, it, it, it feels better to lose now. Let me just put it that way before you lost. And it sucked because you really wanted to do better. And I mean, there's, that's unfair to say also to people who have a, a competitive spirit, they want to do better now. But um, I just feel like it was less rewarding, but it was more so about you wanting to win than it was like just getting money out of it. Because now there's all these big prize pots that are just thrown left and right, flashing on screen, $10,000 prize pot. Oh man, if only I could just break top eight, I'll get a grand. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, that, that wasn't there. So it's, I think, um, it's a bit weirder now. I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, it's proper to say, but I feel like the competitive spirit is not as much there as much as being a personality is now. Because now the FGC sees that personality pays the bills. Because you don't have to be the best player now at anything to make the money. The the, the streamers are the ones that really make the money uh, up until these uh, like up until these sponsorships came around where people were getting like six figures, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was lucrative. I mean, I, I remember SRK used to do uh, calculations tournament, like tournament life calculations. We did them. It's like, if I won 10 tournaments in my life, uh, in my, during my time playing Marvel two, and each one of them was like, I don't know, let's say they were all a thousand dollars, which was not a fact. Let's say 500, which is closer <laughs> to reality. I made five grand, right? How many years did I play? I played for seven years at that point, right? I made five grand in seven years playing like 14 hours a day. I made way below minimum wage playing this. So no, I am not playing for the money. <laughs> you, know, like, you, you know, you brought it up and I was actually going to bring this up with you a little bit later, but... Is esports bad for the FGC? You, you 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 literally just went on that little rant, if you know if that's what you want to call it, and that's always been a conversation a lot within the community. Give me your opinion. Is esports bad? Now let's look at the positives. The money's there. You know, people. I mean, people are traveling around the world to do something that they love. Um, yeah. you know, corporate sponsorships, if you want to look at it as a, as a good thing, sponsorships, you know, you, you basically put yourself out there, but the negatives, like you said, maybe the competitive edge isn't there for some, maybe, maybe it's disappeared. What, what do you think? Is e, is esports bad for the FGC, specifically the FGC? It's a weird thing, right? Because it's still very new. It's still very new. Like as long it's been around close to a decade in terms of like like us getting big money for this. Like 2012, I think, was the first year where MK9 got MLG money. Yes. You know, 30, the $33,000 tournament. I remember going to that because I drove 
six out of the eight winners of top eight <laughs> to that tournament. <laughs> I went to rally in a van, and it was one of the most fun experiences I ever had. It was like me, Brady, the Dominican brothers, uh, like uh, Troy. It was like a ton of people, a ton of people. Phase three, like we all went down there and at KT, um, but like. That was the first time big money was ever in the FGC, and that was my first time experiencing esports. And it was really exciting to see that there were like these big event halls, the like all of the structure that was going on for the tournaments, the production value, all of that was great to see. But it didn't feel organic to say, like kind of like that feeling of everything happening, like at the venue wasn't as i guess just organic as it was at like a grassroots tournament and like we didn't like we we want to be accepting of it because initially you know $33,000 prize pot i would love that to be part of every tournament ever for every game ever you know what i mean but that's you know reality is that that's not the case um but it's just like what comes at that price because you have so many things that go into a large scale production like that that the the flow just isn't there you have to wait for all of these sponsor ads to be played you like we couldn't get like top eight top eight was like a few hours long because like all these things have to happen and it like your energy just gets disrupted as like a competitive player like if you're hot you want to keep playing you the tournament is like getting down to the grand finals you just finished playing 16 matches from losers first round and like you you know you're hot but you got to wait an hour and a half because like they have to get the TVs ready. Right. Like that, that sucks. And like now that's generally what happens where they split it into two days. Um, but I think esports is one of those things where the idea is fantastic, but the execution, I don't know how well, um, how healthy it is because there, there's a bustling marketplace now at tournaments when you go, right? Like you see of course, of course. people with arcade sticks, they do all these things like, like they, very few tournaments um, that are grassroots would have large, like large scale events. When you have an arena like MLG Arena, and then you have NEC, where this guy, I was going to those tournaments when they were in one room, one room. I was in in, in NEC since 2004. I've been going literally every year. That's the only tournament I've gone every single year to. Seeing that bloom, like just blossom from that one room to like an entire hotel, the way it has, is a beautiful thing. But you also feel the difference. Like you feel the energy is so different because it feels like things are just happening. Everything's so kinetic. Like you see all your friends, they're, they're people at like a bar getting drunk. Like people are going in and out of like the BYOB room, uh, BYOC rooms. Like, it, like things are just, everything's moving around. And then when you go to like, a large esports event that's uh, like, and I have, I guess there aren't too many that are like this now, but um, especially because of the pandemic. But like Evo, for instance, Evo is has never really been my tournament of choice. Let me put it that way. It's always been like the like the championship, like that's the one that everyone fought to every year. That, then, that's the one that everybody wants that title. You know, it's by all means, it yeah. is the quote unquote default championships of the FGC. So yeah, yeah. That, that's the one everybody wants to fight for. For sure. And I've it's never been my cup of tea. It's always been great seeing people from so many countries. It's always been awesome. And 
and an event that large, it's 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 hard to to like maintain, of course. And they did; they've done a great job at maintaining it for twenty years now, since like the B series. But um, it's just so different when you go to a tournament like Combo Breaker. Have you ever been to Combo Breaker? No, I have not. The guys, uh, the other guys have. Yes, they've been there a couple of times. Combo Breaker is the size of Evo. But that organic feeling that you get from like a Big E tournament or from like a Shin Blanca tournament, like one of those, like it's crazy. It's the best tournament I've ever been to and the, the best venue I've ever been to because it was 24 hours. You know, that's kind of unbeatable. You can't beat the 24-hour venue. Like if any if NEC has a 24-hour venue, then they get it. But like it's feels way less esports. And there there's production. We now in grassroots tournaments, we have really good production. Like, we have great production for everything. Oh, yeah. So, uh, the things have really come a long way since the original since the original ways we used to do things. I mean, production levels are off the roof on these things. Crazy. Dude, crazy. And, and I love it. I love it because your announcers are, like, the two guys that have been playing this 30-year-old dead game that everybody loves. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like yes. two reputable people are up there doing it. Not two people chosen to commentate every single game. And don't get me wrong, I love my commentators. I love Stage Jam. I love Tasty Steve. I love Yipes. Yipes is one of my, my fucking close brothers. But it's like, I don't want to see you guys commentate every game. Like, <laughs> like I, I understand you guys are the best commentators, but they're going to throw them on every game. Is, and it it's like, is it a cult of personality problem? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, It's just like, I want to see somebody commentating the game and, and like the grassroots tournaments tend to do this really well. It's like if some if they're playing Samurai Showdown 3, I want the guy who runs the the, 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 the SRK forum for Samurai Showdown 3 that has been waiting for this tournament to happen for like 20 years. He makes it out there and he's the most qualified person to commentate on it. I, if he's a personality, I want him to talk. And, then, and grassroots tournaments do that quite often. But when you go to like these larger tournaments, they want the personalities to be up there. It's corporate. And, it's it's corporate basically. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. I get it. Like, it, I I guess I'm not going to speak in blanket because it's not going to be the case for 100 percent of them. But for all the like the main stage games, you're going to see the same five or six commentators. Combo like, Ultra Games Chen, two of my favorites. Mm -hmm. But they're but they're all over the place. Yeah, they're everywhere. Combo like Breaker. You have them, I'm sorry. Commentating for... MK. Yeah. Yeah. What what, what are we doing? You know, these guys yeah, yeah. don't really play these games. I mean, go commentate Super Turbo. You know, don't play it. Don't, don't they commentate. Had, they would do it so much that he got really good at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. Like, Combo Breaker 2019. And I, you know, kind of hate segueing into this, but I believe there was an exhibition. Uh, what were you guys called? The Bots versus oh, Chaos? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I saw that, and... Like you know, I'm I'm never gonna get a chance to play him offline. But how good is Chaos? You've you you've been in the arena with some of the best players in that game. You, yeah. you know, you, you've played long sets. I'm sure, like you said, some of your sparring partners are some of the best players in New York. You play yeah. with Sanford. You play with you actually play with Jay Wong. Is Chaos on a, on a different level, or is it Chaos because he's just been playing the game? more often lately compared to everybody else it's like there are so many factors that go into it because i would never want to take any sort of credit away from him i've seen that guy play since like he was like a beginner 
like I, because I, I, something not everybody may know about me, but I, I watch everyone play. Like I'm talking about like, I, if I, I will more than, if I take the game seriously, then I will more than likely know exactly how you play. And I've seen you play in the past. I've watched all levels of gameplay and it's one of those things where like, regardless of how good or bad you are in a game, I will play you. If you want to get better, I'll help you get better. It doesn't matter to me. Like that's, that's not how I am, but he's somebody that I've seen play from the very beginning and I've seen his progress and he's always, always, always been fighting to get good. There is the argument that of course he was not as good as he is now during the time where they were at their prime. Right. Yes. But then there's the case where chaos is also capable of doing things that people that those same guys weren't doing execution wise. Uh, that we can't say that about Yipes and Sanford because they, they both have that. Um, I've played Ken for a long time. Me and Ken play each other pretty often, actually. Like I just played him two days ago. Yeah, like, actually. Him, um, well, we, what's your buddy's name? Uh, Brett, I believe his name is. I Brett, see. Yeah. I see your sets online all the time. So yeah, you, you do play yeah. him often. You actually play everybody there often. I love that. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Old Magus. I like that guy. He's, I love that team. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I play him. Yeah, I, I play him with top tier. It, it's a whole thing that happened with that. But um, I play Ken pretty often. So like, Ken and I are, are we're, we're 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 buds. So like, whatever. Him and I play. Um, and the it's always been known that amongst the people that play him, him and I generally can go back and forth at any time because the my playstyle, his playstyle is a playstyle that I fight really well, and my playstyle is a, a playstyle that he fights really well, which is funny. Our teams like just go at it. Yeah. So like generally, he's not gonna. It's, it's a weird thing when you have a situation where, like we had, we gave him the advantage in the sense where he could switch teams depending on who he was playing, and he never had to get off the stick, right? So at no point in time did anyone have a chance to, like, really warm up. or I mean, not warm up. I'm not going to say that. To, to really get hot on the, on, like, on the stick to stay on um, or fight the one team that he has to pick against everybody. So, like, we did that obviously out of curse. Um he kicked our ass, right? That, yes, he did. Anybody no, who's seen that video, and I love you guys, but it's just, it's as if he was like in a completely different dimension compared to you guys. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's one of those things where if you watch any one of us playing, including Justin, Justin lost to him, Sanford lost to him, like everyone lost to him. They were more out of their element than we were. I wouldn't say Sanford, but Justin was out of his element for sure. Like he hasn't been playing. He literally just played just because you know we asked him to for an exhibition and he was like all right i'll play just give me a stick we were he grabbed like the nearest stick and sat down and put it like yeah. smashing buttons but it's one of those things where and my stick was actually completely out of order i had to use two other sticks on that i couldn't play on my own but uh that kind of upset me like right before the exhibition i couldn't use my own sticks uh but i also feel like i just was playing terribly that weekend um he was playing ridiculous like absolutely fucking godlike so like and pardon my French, but he, that weekend he was hot. So he is, Ken is on a level that um, very few people have ever even seen. Well, so, he, again, the conversation is, is him and, uh, you know, the three gods originally, because I've, I've seen yeah. that game played 
plenty of times. I've seen some crazy stuff happening, and you're right. During that exhibition, some of the stuff that he was doing, it's like, wait, what? You could do that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just main, it, again, he's he's otherworldly, you know, talent in that game. Yeah. The the main thing is that like, it's unfortunate that his biggest rival is timing. He didn't do any of that while the people were playing at their best when the competition was at an all-time high. And he knows when I say this that I don't mean to take a single like strand of fucking respect away from him. Um, but it just sucks that he wasn't around. He, he wasn't that good back then. You know, like if he was that good back then, then maybe there could be a conversation. It's called but, growing like, pain. It's growing pains. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. Like the, the, the gods of Marvel still – to this day, it's not going to change. Wong, Yipes, Sanford, and Duck. Duck Doe from the West Coast. Yes. Duck Doe from two Evos. That guy is, he's legit. To he's this the, day, uh, he's, he's the cool. spiral player. Yeah. The only spiral player ever who also invented MSP. Uh, but <laughs> he, he's like, like, it sucks because if there were supposed to be, if there were legit Mount Rushmore, like if you had all of them at their prime right now, who would know? Who knows how that would turn out? But there's you can't i can't i can't change any of that you know what i mean that's not something that, that i can change where does but chris where does chris smith fall um within those uh within those names because he was a well-known player and a lot of chris people right right there with chaos probably right there with chaos. i think if you were to and that's the thing like the 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 conversation has always been what about a really godlike MSP? So people have been wanting to see Yipes versus Chaos, but that's of course. not going to happen. That's the dream match everybody wants. Yeah. Now, if Krishmit in his prime versus Chaos would be a matchup, then we would see just how good he could fight that. Because he, there just aren't any MSPs on the West Coast that can beat him like that. Of course. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, like I said, time time is his biggest rival. Is Ken godlike? Hell yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I play that guy all the time. But can I can I say he's one of the guys that can't do that? Because like the, the measuring stick for all of that has gone on the water a long time ago. Of course, and, and that's with everything. That's why we love having these debates. Um excuse me, these de- um debates. You know, who's the better player? Babe Ruth or um or, or Barry Bonds or you know who who who's the better player, LeBron or Jordan? Un- unfortunately, I think Jordan said it best in the video a while back that was he was being compared to to Robinson and Olajuwon is like, listen, I didn't play at that time. You know, all I know is we were all amazing, but I can never really know how I stack up to them because I I played at a different time. You know, like it's all fun banter. That's all. That's all it is. I know some people take it very very seriously to the point where some people get death threats, but it's like, listen, it's all fun. We can never really know. It's like. Ewing was really good, but he looked like shit because he had to play against Michael Jordan in 95 Bulls. So it's like or 96 Bulls at that point. But, like, Ewing was great. Ewing is, under, he, Ewing is underappreciated by Nick fans. I've yeah, always said that. Play at the same time as, as Jordan, <laughs> Pippen, Rod, like, come on. Like, yeah, of course. It's, it's like, but that, that's the thing. is like you have players that are really, really good that people won't acknowledge because they don't they're playing at the same time as somebody else. And then you have players that are incredible, but 
they didn't play at the same time as all the other incredible players. You know what I mean? Like it, they didn't perform. Mm-hmm. So of course, of course. Oh, trust yeah. me, I know. Marvel versus Capcom two. That game, you would go to Chinatown Fair. That's drop dead center. Even yeah. that tournament, even even during its time where it wasn't doing that good, when the tournament scene was down, it's just always been known as the hype game. When did you start getting really deep into Marvel versus Capcom two? So, 2004, when I started playing, it was February of 2004. I started going there every Friday to CF. But I was playing CBS 2 because I, everyone at Marvel 2 was too good. So, <laughs> I bought um, an arcade stick from, uh, from J&L Games. Uh, it was like a place that was like a few blocks away. I actually got um, I got my Moss stick. I've had that thing now for about fifteen years, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Picked it up yeah, for a hundred so bucks. I got it from there with the concave buttons and everything. <laughs> yes. The ones that would cut your hands if you're trying yeah. to like mash. So I I was playing, I played on those, um, and I was practicing at my house, and I didn't. I guess I was trying to get better, just trying to like work on execution. But back then. There weren't many videos that taught you how to do anything practical. The information for things was just not around. So I really started getting into it because I was really good with execution. So I learned how, how to like do a lot of things on my own. And that was the first game that I played where I felt like it gave me so much freedom to like practice things and to like do all these crazy looking cool things. And I really started getting into it then. Um, and I was, I always thought I was pretty okay. Like I was losing left and right at CF. Um, I told you I was playing like Sanford. Yes, yes. I lose all the time. And I'm like, guys suck. Jesus, like I'm terrible at this game. And there was a point where I was going to quit. And I was like, how am I going to play this anymore? And then I went to like Evo 2008, I think it was. And when I went to that Evo, uh, that was going to be my last, like my last tournament. Honestly, I was just like, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to Evo because I want to go with my friends and I want to enjoy Vegas. Right, right. So I wasn't even there for the game. I didn't, I didn't really care. And but I, I took my stick around and there were people playing, and that's where I first met Neo. That's where I first met a few people. I played a bunch of people that I had never played before, and this was at the same time. Actually, I made my debut. There was another combo fiend player, Iron Man Magneto Sentinel player from Texas named Buckethead. And Tone from uh, from Texas, another good friend of mine, that showed up there, and they were calling me the the budget buckethead because they're like, you stole all his tech because I was doing these things that I had practiced in the lab. But mean, mind you, there's no footage of this guy anywhere. I live in New York. I have no idea what he's capable of, but apparently we do the same things. So I'm just like, oh, okay, whatever that means. So I'm warming up and I start playing people and the people that I'm playing, I'm winning a lot against And I'm like, this isn't, this is a right. I'm winning. Right. So as time goes on, I play people for money. I win all my money matches. I lost one to Neo. He beat me. Uh, it was like five, four. And he beat me like at the end, he, he like laid me out with Sentinel. Uh, it was like a few pixel difference. And he looked at me, he goes, dude, who the hell are you? And I go, huh? I'm Josh from New York. He goes, dude, you're really good. I was like, oh, thanks, man. Like, he was, like, really, like, 
praising me at that point. And a bunch of people just started praising me. Then I remember I went to go play Sue Mighty and this other guy, Tim No, in, yeah. in like one of the hotel rooms. And I 5 0 to both of them. And I was just like, all right, I, I, this is this, something's really wrong here because I'm beating all these like really good players. Yeah, and, now, and for people who don't know, Sue Mighty might be one of the only MSPs who's ever taken a set off of Justin. He's ridiculously good. Yeah, yeah actually, yes. So even Sue was like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> he said, like, People kept saying that. And oh, and then I had to play Fnatic because Fnatic had been talking shit to me over oh, over uh, Arcade. Mm-hmm. So him and I play, and he beat me 10 9. He beat me. But he goes, Bro, I will never say that you're bad at this game ever again. He goes, I, I like, whatever the turnout of this was, like, you're really good, and I'm never going to shit talk to you again. He said that straight up. And I, respe- I respected him after that because he was like talking hella reckless before that. But he goes, No, seriously, like, you're really good. And I was like, oh, thanks. Like, so a bunch of people really pumped me up. So I got super, like, uh, this reinvigorated, like, I think I'm okay at Marvel. Then I go and I play Yipes in Sanford again. I play, I think I play, San, uh, it wasn't Sanford. I, I play uh, Eric in one of the hotel rooms. And he beats me just like the way he always beats me. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it, it isn't that I suck. It's just that I play really ridiculous players, and like losing against them isn't the same as like losing against, <laughs> losing against other people. So at that point, I, I like really like I didn't. I think I got like top thirty-two. I lost to two MSPs at, at Evo, and then I went back to New York, and I had superpowers. I was beating everyone, every, everyone. I wasn't messing anything up. Like you logged I, into the Matrix. Dude, all my everything was a hundred percent. That everyone was started getting scared. Like they were like, "Oh, Iron Man!" Like that at that point, everyone was like, "Really, really like, damn, okay, this guy's good." And I, I, my ego inflated, right? <laughs> Not my ego, but like I felt really good. Oh no, well, you but, you could puff your chest out now. It's like I can hang yeah, with these no, guys. No, I'm nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I go and I, I play. Uh, I go to seasons beating street. That's my first big tournament after Evo 2000, uh, Evo 2008 or nine, whichever one it is, I forget. But I remember going to that tournament, me and my friends are going and like, we have like a laptop in the car. We're all like watching shit, like just talking. Like, like it's just a really fun road trip. We get to Ohio. I'm expecting it just to be another tournament, like where like I, I do kind of good, but I'm going to lose to like New York guys. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So let's get ready for this. The the day on Saturday, now I don't know if you're familiar with Seasons Beatings or for anybody who's oh, no, not. I, I know that tournament very well. Uh, Combo Breaker um, basically succeeded. So, yeah, season Beatings, yes. Se- season Beatings, yeah, it was, was basically – so the season Beatings was in Ohio and was run by uh, Robert uh, Fuji. Mm-hmm. So Fuji um, – that became like the mecca of Marvel. Yes, that was the – like Evo was a championship, but to us the real tournament was – seasons beatings it really became that and weirdly it, it, we don't know how that happened it was in a bowling alley but yes i know became- i remember when i always remember hearing about that it's like no you know like you said evo is the quote-unquote world title but season beatings for whatever reason that's the tournament all you guys basically just went to it it, it became it became something bigger than the evil title this is yeah, yeah. this is where we all want to congregate to just have the highest levels of play in that game for whatever reason it was season beatings you're right yeah and it was it was like the organic grassroots like dirty 
Marvel 2 tournament that like you'll see and it's like the highest level gameplay you would you'll ever see in that and <clears throat> when when I got to that tournament I didn't expect what came that weekend to happen I I had a few people that wanted to play me for money for like it was like a hundred two hundred dollars something like that and uh, I never play people over a hundred dollars by the way now that I remember there was one match I did but I never do that uh, my entire career it doesn't matter how what my what I think my odds are I will never play anybody over a hundred bucks that's responsibility um, right there man yeah 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 I had bills and shit I was like nah, nah. <laughs> so, like, uh, I played uh, Rob Zilla who had just beaten Justin Wong at Evo the year before he sent him to losers so um, I that guy was talking wreck on SRK I played him. I beat him like I just got out the car. I get in, play for money. I like, it's like ten three something like that. I beat him really bad. And he goes, "Dude, if you play like this the whole weekend, I'm betting on you." And he goes, "You're gonna make me all my money back." So he gave me my hundred, but lo and behold, he bet on me the whole weekend. So then <laughs> um, I played a few other people. I beat I beat them, and like I'm I'm feeling good. I'm like, damn, okay, I think I'm still pretty nice. So then all these big Money matches happen, Eric versus Sumaiti, like Desmond versus Chris Schmidt, all these crazy money matches happen. Then the tournament comes. And my first match is this guy Zero from Georgia. He was he was a, a decent player at the time. Um he's he uh also played Combo Fiend. Uh I beat him, then I had to play uh uh forget his name, the guy that the guy that plays uh Street Fighter 2. Um, he used to put up combo videos all the time. Uh, anyway, uh, I played. I play a guy. Like, uh, I forget his name, but it sucks because he's a really nice guy. Um, I play him, and then after that, I I get sleepy. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to like play anymore. Like like I, I ate a bulgogi bowl with rice and I passed out in one of the chairs. And then they're like, <laughs> I hear the announcements and they're like J360, J360, and then people come over to me and they wake me up and like, Yo, Josh, Josh, you gotta play Jmar. And I'm like. Oh, I gotta play Jamar. It's like from Seattle. This guy's ridiculous. Like he's the, he's known for like doing unblockables and like MSP yeah. teams coming back, killing all these teams. And I'm like, oh man, okay. So I go up, I play him, <laughs> watch. I beat him really fast, and I'm like, did I just do that? And he goes, who the fuck are you? And that that was the time of the year. So I was just like, Josh, good games. He goes, dude, you're. Thanks. And like that, I never heard that so much at one time. So after that, I was like, oh man, who I got to play next? I had to play Chunksta. And I'm like, Chunksta just beat Justin Wong. He just sent him to losers in that very same tournament. And I'm like, oh man, like this is going to be hard. So I play Chunk, washes me the first game, like wash. Second game is beating me. It looks like he's toying around with me. He does, like, I have like 20% Iron Man, 10% Magneto. He has a full team. Santrax. Here we go. He he does one wrong rocket punch. I I, I block it and I, I DHC into Proton Cannon, kill Sentinel, and then he his commando gets in. He jumps in the air, and like I, I make it look like I'm about to cross him up, but I just come back to the same side and I launch him. Yeah. And then I do air to ground all the way down. First time ever it's ever been recorded in a tournament. You can hear the whole crowd going. Gosh, gosh, carried to the corner, guard broken, done. Right. So then the, the last game, 
he gets the jog, the classic. I, I hit him, he, his whole team is over. I almost perfect him. Like, it's that's just what happens. And the, the funny thing is that, like, right before the second game, the one thing that really motiv- motivated me to not mess up, and I forgot to mention this, was that as I was playing, I could hear his, like, the guys from his, like, like area. Um, they're just like, I was a fucking watch. This guy sucks. Like that, like straight up, just that's saying all, that. Like That's always free. a great motivation right there. I hear that out of the corner of my eye. I am like out of the corner of my ears. I hear, I hear it, and I'm getting upset. I'm getting tight. I'm like, really, man? Like, like I'm getting my ass beat. And you guys are like <laughs> <laughs> talking <laughs> shit. You guys really saying that? So like, when I play Chunk, like he's beating me, and I'm like determined. I don't want to die. And then I, I make that comeback. And then the third game, wash. That's when I, I get up in the video. I explode. So like, then after that, I had to play Demon Heo, beat him. Then I had to play. Uh, I think at that point I was in winners finals. I had to play Yipes and Chris Schmidt. And that was the best tournament I ever had. I lost to both of them. But they both kept telling me that that was my tournament to win. They were like, you, you just threw that tournament. That was your tournament to win. And I was like, I don't know. And that was the hardest tournament ever for Marvel 2. And Justin and Sanford both got 13th place. Wow. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like that at that point on is where I knew I was locked into this game for, for life. Like I, I was... I was I traveled every tournament after that. I never was outside the top three, except for seasons beatings. The next year I got seventh. Yeah, that was it. But Marvel that's versus, really what I Marvel, Marvel versus Capcom two. What is that game in twenty twenty? You have Battle for the Strongest. You have um, your buddy Brett, who's always uploading um, you know a lot of content online because he plays on Xbox. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you know the Null DC. Um, they had recent um, online yeah. enhancements where people are playing that game online. But what is that game in 2020? And the homie Fat Body is uh, he's really pioneering that. Um, shout out to him, of course, and Brett. Of course, um, of course. The game right now is uh, is still pretty strong. Um, now there is the whole problem that. Uh, you, it's been unavailable on the marketplace for close to eight years now, nine years. The Xbox marketplace or any marketplace. Um, the, that was at the time that Marvel lost the license. Yes. Capcom lost the license to Marvel. So they, they didn't have it on the marketplace anymore. Um, but PS3, uh, there's a lot more players on PS3 because people, um, jailbreak ps3s now and they can just play the game on there um that's because we all hit microsoft yeah (laughs) (laughs) the 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 game right now is is still really strong like right now where people are mainly like in the east coast we still have our group of people that still play still to this day like of course chris josh wigfall uh desmond pinkney lawrence like shout outs to all those guys and um, honestly, like I have, it held up really strong in New York. Um, I'd say mainly due to the efforts of, of Chris Matrix and my, my brother for life, uh, Blue Jay, who passed away, uh, three months ago. Sorry to hear um, that. he, he housed us. He was, it's, it's crazy that it happened the way that it did, but it, initially we used to go to Nelson's house all the time to do this. And like Nelson passed away a few years past and Blue Jay. Uh, Jose Enriquez, um, we would always be at his house. And we were just always at his house. That's where Bots was uh, actually filmed. Uh, Bots took place at his his house. Oh, really? Um, okay. 
yeah, so he he would constantly, I'm talking about it'll be like 2 a.m. I'm just getting out of work. I'm about to get out of work. I get a call from 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 Chris, like, yo, Josh, what you doing? I was like, I'm at work. Why? He goes, yo, crack. And I'm like, bro, I'm just getting out of work. And he goes, don't worry, Blue Jay's outside of your door right now. <laughs> He's like, hop in, Josh. Come on, baby. But I hop in, drive up to his house, crack it out for like a few hours, and then go home. And like, it was it was a thing where we could still play because we're all adults. We all have cars. We all like we we all have the means to do so. So we do it with the people that we want to do it with. You know what I mean? So like it's the same group of people. So like Mike Infinite, I forgot to mention as well, who lives like close to me as well. But we we all live pretty close to each other. So we try to still play offline. It's a thing where we'll always play on Dreamcast, always. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, playing online is where where it's at right now that's where you get like the most competition um i play on xbox because on ps3 it has a native input delay that really like drives me up the wall so um there are still quite a number of players and i i gotta give a shout out to the west coast they they in cali they still have big groups of people that get together to play and i'm not talking about right now during the pandemic but leading up to this yes they do yes. they were tons and tons and tons of get-togethers those guys would always put stuff up like like big shout outs to them like seriously but it's it's mainly uh i think marvel right now is mainly like uh the forum is the facebook group there's a marvel versus capcom 2 facebook group that has like over 2,000 members and that's where everyone talks shit that's where everybody like everybody plays for money online i'll never do that by the way never people play but, for money online that's nuts play for money online so never i'll never do that but <laughs> It's the same game. It's just that, I guess, it's just, it's like the the hyperbole of like what happens when arcades die. It's like now you don't even get to see your friends. You only can play online, like because of this pandemic. But uh, it's it's still going really strong. Bots was magical. We did not expect it to turn out that way. It the most fun I've had playing the game. It actually is what brought me back into the game. I stopped playing the game for like a year, year and a half in bots two, um, where I was a top three. Um, I lost to Eric at the last one, but right. um, that one I hadn't played in over a year, literally have not touched a stick in like over a year. So like you could see it during the tournament, I started making a comeback and like getting better. And like, as time went on, I started playing harder and harder people. And then I, I was gatekeeping, like Desmond was supposed to win the tournament and because I beat him, then I, I was in the running and then he lost to the person after that. And then all of a sudden I, I went from last place to like first place and it was nuts. Um, that really got me back into playing and like I would play with, like we would all play for a while. They still, these guys still go at it. We'll still be like on a Facebook call, like just talking to each other and like going over tech. But like, it's a game where that like will forever be like, our glue you know what i mean like it's, course, it's just what it's something that we feel good playing and it's it feels really nice like as a grown man whenever i want to play a game i don't really like i don't really get to play much anymore but like when i have a chance i'll play some marvel and it's dope like i like playing the new games i did testing for a while so like it was great but well marvel 2 is the one that uh brought you friends for life it's the one that got you guys all together roomed in you know different places of the country um it, again it's that brotherhood it's that it's that brotherhood that a video game you know brought for you guys 
And that's why you guys keep playing it. That's why that, you know, that's why older games are never going to die. I'm sure you know the Third Strike League going on, the Jazzy Circuit. I mean, look, at yeah. that, that game sometimes gets 130 dedicated players just for that game. And, you know, Marvel 2. Oh, it's, it's, it's freaking awesome, man. It's like the leveling up that a lot of people here in the States have done thanks to that league. It, it really is amazing. And, yeah. and sure, it's only chaos for now, but I'm sure there are some up-and-coming players for Marvel 2 where maybe in the future we will say, hey, we're going to have to rethink who the best players are. But again, that's what the game did. It, uh, it brought you a lot of love and joy in your life. Yeah, and, and that's, that's one of the things is that with the game, um, I had taken a pretty long hiatus. So like coming back to play, I was pretty off, honestly. Like the past year, I haven't really played as well as I should have because I was also switching sticks. Like I started playing on Japanese stick. Now I play on this. This is the stick I play on now. It's a little Mayflash that I changed around. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, it's it's like if I play on a Ma stick, I could probably play better than I am now. But you know, like I, I I'll I play it to play. I don't. It, there's not some hyper competitive uh, thing going on right now where I have to play really good. I was getting ready for Evo. <laughs> I was getting ready for the circuit to, to qualify for Evo, but that's out of the picture now. That's actually a good uh, segue into it. I mean, listen, everything that happened, COVID-19, uh, it's, it's an unfortunate event. It's brought the whole world to a halt. For Marvel 2 to be there at Evo, the Tournament of Champions, I believe it's called, I mean, how big was it yeah. for that community? It was huge. It was huge. And it's... It's... Uh... It was actually pretty funny the way it was happening. So uh, there were qualifiers on the West Coast and qualifiers on the East Coast. Ken was going to fly, Chaos was going to fly to Philadelphia uh, to play the qualifiers over here so that West Coast people could have a chance to do it over oh, there. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it, initially, it started with them saying, let's make a fundraiser for Chaos to go to the East Coast to play. Because nobody, like, it's like, all right, you're admitting that you just cannot beat this guy. So they're going to send them over to us instead. So I was actually really, really practicing mainly to beat Chaos in turn. I was practicing really hard, actually. Um, and I that went to, to hell. So <laughs> I, I was just like, okay, like I'm still rusty. I'm still like, I just decided to play on Xbox and... Um, and PS3 because I wanted to play again and I, I I looked rusty and I was, but I think the more I play now, like I'm I'm pretty close to what I was before. But it's like the 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 game right now, I think would have benefited greatly from that. Um, but it is one of those things. I'll be honest with you, since I get to say this, I was actually kind of upset. About what? I think a few of them were upset about what Evo was doing because they blatantly, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, I, they blatantly were ripping the, the bots format to do that. And it's something that they needed to fill a final slot and they saw the success that we had for two years with it as, as, as an organic event. They saw the success that we had uh, from that, and they were gonna they were gonna go ahead and do that for Evo. Hey, listen, and, you're 100 percent right with that because some of the people that I've talked to, when they tell me, "Oh, Marvel Two is gonna be at Evo," I'm like, 
Well, that's kind of interesting. That's a weird decision. And then, you know, I started looking a little bit at it. And you're absolutely right. It's they saw they saw Battle of the Strongest and they saw the success that that tournament had where it's just everybody's there having a good time. Maybe this, I, I believe you guys got like about 5,000 people watching. I, yeah. I, I believe that's what it was. And yeah, it's right there and then told me, it's like, you know what? They just want those 5,000 people watching as well. They need something for, I guess, if you want to look at it as filler. And it's really yeah. such a shame because, you know, oh, my God, well, they're bringing back Marvel 2 for evil. This is great. One of the, you know, one of the games that put this on the map. But it's like, oh, no, there, there's there's other there's other things going on right there. This is not this is not bots. It really isn't. No, it's not. And they had every opportunity to bring that game back on for nine years before that. They got rid of it. They, they even smashed a Dreamcast on stage. Uh, like when they were like, yeah, pa fuera, get this shit the hell out of here. Like they, they, they were done with it. And then they had the final Marvel tournament on PS3 and they were like to hell with it. And Marvel and Sur Super Turbo carried Evo for a decade. Yes, they did. For a decade. And then they did that and I was just like, all right, like, that, like it's fine. I get it. Make it a side game. There are many games that need like opportunities too, but like at least make it an official side event because they had official side events. And then now they see the success that this had for two years. Then they, they couldn't get a Warner Brothers game because NRS wasn't willing to pay no. Evo a fuck ton of money just to put their game up. And then how the tables turn. Did you see how that all played out? <laughs> oh, you know what? We're going to use MK11 now that we need a good netcode game. And then... Mr. Wizard happens, and then WB is like, nah, son, you ain't getting our game no more. Like, hold that. <laughs> it's, it's Folks, how, he's putting how, it mildly, by the way. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes. I mean, gee, but it's like, they, it, it's it's such an obvious thing. And like, it, it got, it made me a bit salty. I was excited. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, get to compete for Evo. But then I was like, wow, oh, motherfucker. It's like, they, they really just like, they really just ripped bots. They really just did that. What they were was it? Eight what was that? They were going to make it eight people at that. Oh, yeah, like the Super Turbo tournament they did that a while back. It would have made no sense. No. What was it about Marvel 3 that did not capture that magic with some of your, you know, with some, some of your uh, longtime friends? Uh, Marvel 3 came out, and it was just so... It was so hated by the Marvel 2 community. I mean, you, you know, Justin Wong was still winning tournaments, but he's Justin Wong. He's he's one of a kind. He he just excels at video games. Yeah. But, like, what what was it that, about about that game? I mean, Yipe says, well, he excelled at it. But what was it about that game that people like Sanford and, you know, some of these longtime Marvel Marvel vs. Capcom 2 players, just they, they just couldn't gravitate towards it? Is it the simple fact that, you know, the, the comeback mechanics. I mean, because the game was still very much hype. And it, Marvel 2 is a hype game, but it just seems... Maybe I'm looking at it in a weird way. Maybe you understand what I'm saying. It's just two different kinds of hype. Is it just a generation of players that Marvel 3 was made for? Or is it, what was it about your generation of Marvel players that just kind of, like, rejected that game? X-Factor. <laughs> X Factor is a bullshit mechanic. And it's. All right. First off, where I stand with Marvel 3, personally, 
I do not like the game. However, I have supported it competitively for yes, its entire run. Yes, we have. I have never once gone on Twitter, any social media denouncing the game. I have only shared things about it. And I've, I've gone to tournaments and have been there to cheer people on. But I will never play that game. And like, I, not, I won't say I will never. I will never play it competitively. Let me just say that. Because it has Iron Man in it. So I'm probably going to go into the lab with him for some reason and try to figure his whack ass out in that game. But <laughs> it's, it's a game that um, just, it was too much of a change. Like, so it's, it's, it goes like this. You have... A Marvel 2, it was a game that was out for, what, nine, ten years? About so, yeah, about ten or, 10 or 11 years Before or something like that. Yeah. Marvel 3? Um, Marvel 2 always had that feeling that, and this was at a time where we didn't have the same kind of strategic or combo like input information that we do now for games. Like You could just YouTube a tutorial and you'll get it. There were no tutorials. And if they were, they were from like Magnetro and it was like some crazy combo video and that was it. But what happened at that time is that people felt like it was just too late to get good at it at Marvel 2. So you had a lot of people who felt like they would never win um, or they thought it was too cheap because they had too many like broken characters and like too many unplayable characters. Yeah, the top tier ruled the bottom tier by quite a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A huge margin. Um, it was two completely different games in one. It was Marvel and Capcom, but it was, uh, you had people that, that felt that way. And as with every game, this is NRS games. This is like street fighter games. You have your crowd of players that felt kind of like they couldn't quite cut it in the first cut, but they see an opportunity to be a top player in a new one, right? Of course, of and course. that's fine. You don't want to put your efforts towards something that has already been out for a long time, and you're like, eh, let me just try my luck with the next one. It's not necessarily to be to put anyone down that does that, but you know, it's a new opportunity. That game comes out, and everyone has a chance to really win. Like the first Evo was won by a guy that hadn't played Marvel 2 in like five or six years before that. Viscount. He was a, a top player in Marvel 2 early on, like the B3, B4 days. But, you know, you would see a different champion every year. You would see different champions in each tournament until Chris G got so good that he was winning everything except Evo. <laughs> so Marvel 3 is one of those games where for a lot of us, it just felt like it was too rewarding they, if people complained about Iron Man in Marvel 2 because he could kill you off of a hit, every character in that game can do it, right? And it's like off of the simplest ones, simplest hits. And it just it just seemed like the, the playing field was far too leveled out in terms of just comeback factor. That comeback mechanic was the biggest downfall to that game for me. That and Phoenix, two terrible, terrible, terrible terrible features of that game um and the thing is that at first a lot of like the marvel 2 players they were top players in marvel 2 but they played marvel 3 and they got upset partially ego i'll say that you're playing a brand new game you just finished being a, 
a great player in this previous one and you get into the next one and you're like, oh man, I'm going to keep my status. No, you're starting at the bottom with everybody else again. Yes. You're, you, are no, you are no longer relevant. Especially so now in a time when information is readily available. You know, yeah, people it, get better much faster. Of course. And it's true. It's true. But like, you know, it, part of it is ego. I Part of it for me was ego. I'll, I'll admit that right away. I'm playing my Sentinel against a guy who's never played Sentinel in his life. But he hit me with some bootleg-ass medium <laughs> hit that goes up this way. He hit me with, with a, something that hits me to the ground, X-Factor, into like some rocket punch, and I die. It's like, all right. Like, I've been playing this game for 10 years, and now i got to lose to this guy who's been playing it for a week. And that was ego, right? Like, that's ego. That's, that's where I was upset about that. But the comeback factor was really what did it for me. The reason I took it back to GameStop was because I was playing online and there was this guy who was really bad. He was like, you could tell he didn't know what he was doing. But he had an X-Factor Wolverine. I kept missing because his hitbox was super low. He would hit me with the crouching shorts into supers and he killed all three of my characters and came back. I turned off my Xbox. I pulled out the disc. I put it in the thing and I went. I drove to GameStop in White Plains. In Cross County Mall. I'll yes. never forget that. I drove to take this. And they're like, yo, this hasn't come out yet. How much can I get for that? <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where, like, for, for us, for our generation uh, of players, some people played the new one. Because it was cool to also see that there was more variety. In Ultimate, the characters got better. Ultimately, the same characters won the tournaments. But there's a world champion Hulk player, Hagar player. You know what I mean? Like, they, there's... There are people who pick weird characters and can do really well in that game. So it's exciting to see. But boy, is it frustrating to play. You know, it is frustrating. You know, you, it's weird because you, you say that there are multiple champions. Yet when we have a guy like Chris G, who's very, very good at all, all fighting games, when you see him dominating and people just hate it, it's weird. It's yeah. like you can't have one or you can't have the other. It's like, okay, so yeah. what do you guys want? You loved it when Justin was winning all those tournaments and he was untouchable. And then some players got up, you know, to his level and were able to beat him. But then you have Marvel 3 come along where you have multiple champions. Well, this is boring. But then here comes a guy who just dominates the game like he did. Well, we hate this. So so what is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just you. When Justin was winning. He was winning until he just became the villain. People didn't want to see him win anymore. And I remember him saying that, too. He was just like, yeah, people used to cheer for me, man. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, he became a villain at one point. Um, Did that bother him? Did it bother I don't think it bothered him. No, I mean, it probably did. I can't say that for sure. But um, I, I remember that's what he said to me. But he, he, I don't know whether or not it really bothered him like that. Um, but... In Marvel 3, he was the underdog again because he was dethroned, but he, he stuck with it. Yes. And he played three bootleg characters on a team that shouldn't have worked, and it was cheap, and he made it work. So it was it's beautiful to see things like that work out in Marvel 3. And like I said, I don't like the game, but I understand why people like the game. And a lot of us didn't like the game for that very reason. It's just like we're trying to play this new game where, like, it has a lot of bullshit. Like, the New York players tried to play. Chris Matrix tried to play. He was in the weekly tournament. Like, Mike Infinite tried to play. Like, all those guys tried to play, but 
They, they just couldn't get into it. No, Guess which game they did like? Marvel 2. <laughs> Marvel Infinite. I was actually about to bring that up, but before we get to that, you're absolutely yeah. right. I, I, I The part about Ego, I, I forgot where I saw it. I mean, this is an old video. Noel Brown, he was a very good Marvel 3 player, but one of the one of the top Marvel 2 players basically said, you know what, I don't like Marvel 3 because in Marvel 2, you were not good. This game, you're ridiculously good, so how could I take it seriously? Like you said, it's all ego. Listen, you, you yeah. have you have the skills. Just because yeah. you, just because it's a brand new game and we do have X Factor, it, it cannot be the same game as the previous one because that would be silly. What? Exactly. And it's like that's that's pure ego. Like that's an ignorant statement. You know what I mean? Like, and I I, I get the statement, but it doesn't translate properly because it's it's a different game. It's not Marvel Two continued. It's Marvel Three. Yes. There's Part Two and Part Three. The, the Marvel 1 players felt the same way about Marvel 2. They're like, yo, this is scrubby. How come we're losing a button and now you could you only need four buttons to play the game? Yes. I used to have to dash with three buttons. <laughs> How come you get to dash with two? Like, Mar- you know, like... Hey, hey, listen, I, I actually was one of those. I loved Marvel 1 and then Marvel 2 came around and it's like, wait, what? What, what is all this yeah. crap? But going back to a, a game you mentioned, which unfortunately had the life it does, Marvel Infinite. Great game. That game. That's a that great game. game, but it's just it's unfortunate with everything that happened to it. People should yeah. be playing that game a hell of a lot more. And props to those guys who do the Marvel Infinite Tour or Little League that they do because they organize a well-ran, you know, they, uh, Mr. Swole Bad Guy. Yes, Swole Bad yeah. Guy. That's his name. Yes, that is a yes. very, very, very fun game. But unfortunately, I it's just lost all steam, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, and like I said, remember I told you before I was fortunate enough to play with like the best players. I'm part of the group of those guys that are just the absolute most ridiculous players on there, and I play with them. I only play with them. And it's it's Bane Hollow, Joey D, uh, uh, Tayson, um, you know, like uh, Johnny A, Emo Roar, like Teresa. I play with those guys, like, and they they're all ridiculous players. Tyson has been winning all the gauntlets recently, but that's a game that the Marvel two players were like, Oh, this is familiar. It was a four button layout. It yes. had like, it was a different with the tagging, but whatever. Like there was proximity guard again. Like there was a Magneto function. <laughs> like, we were like, Oh, like this game, this game is, this rocks. We were all playing it. We were all playing it and we were enjoying it. But then like, it was one of those weird witch hunts on Twitter from the community that just totally, totally wrecked it. It like it was really bad. People were upset about graphics. Graphics. Yeah, yep. And, and, uh, like, I, and uh, when did know, that game come out? What year? And yeah, it came out uh 2017. Yeah, we're complaining about graphics when we're all you know we're playing 20 year old games that look worse than this. It, it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's like people also didn't like. You know what's saltier than a Marvel 2 player playing Marvel 3? A Marvel 3 player playing Marvel Infinite. That's that's the saltiest thing I've ever seen. Like, I'm talking about, like, a lot of those guys, because in Marvel 3, like we said before, tons of people won different tournaments, right? Yes. Everyone had their 15 minutes of fame. There were so many people who had won different tournaments, and it was cool to see. But 
oh, God forbid you beat them in a game of Marvel Infinite. This game is trash. Oh, my God. Like, you lost your status. It sucks, right? It sucks to lose your status. And it's like people may not want to admit it, but it's a, it's a big ego thing. And I, I admit it. It happened to me. You know, like, that's how I felt. But, like, I've, I've seen it. I beat those same people. I've, I played that game, Marvel Infinite. I love that game. Iron Man, that's my favorite version of Iron Man ever. It's godlike. It's a really good game. And it's unfortunate that people aren't playing it. The happiest person I've ever seen playing that game, or at least when it was announced, it had to be Mega Man Steve because X is finally in the game. So now you have Mega- X and Zero. I love the game because it gives me a chance to play as Sigma. I freaking love that character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a, a bunch more characters too. But um, Mega Man Steve is one of those guys that his fire died, but he was supporting. He always supports the game. He, he was really good. He traveled to tournaments. He was really traveling for it. Yes, and, he was, yes. And people killed it for, for a player like that. That could have been his game. They, he could have been like a top like top player in that game. And he was playing Mindstone. Not many Mind people. St- no, not, a lot of people basically say that's the lowest tier stone in the game, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. Okay, then. Um, but, you know, it was it was... Such a disaster piece. I guess that's the best way I can put it. It's it's such a beautiful game, but it's tragic. It is what it is. But listen, you lived the dream for a lot of gamers. You went to Japan. That, that That's the dream for a ton of gamers, and you were actually able to live it. Take us through that. How was it? How was the food? How was the experience? I Japan? finally landed in Japan. I, I could say I could say I did that. Suck it to all you guys back there. You ain't coming anywhere near here. I'm here. Go ahead. Take us through that. Um, <laughs> it's like I'm such a weeb. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I love you, man. Yeah, I, I loved it. Like, my girlfriend had been there before because uh, she went, like, two years before me. I've been wanting to go there all my life. Uh, I plan on going again with my friends soon. But um, it was... It was such a great experience. Um, it's one of those places where it's so magical if you're not from there, right? It's so magical. But I can only imagine that growing up there and growing up having to live to those standards is is hard. But for me, for us, for people visiting that place, it is Disneyland. It is like the entire thing. Dude. Anywhere you go, anywhere you go, doesn't matter where you are. If you ask for anything, like Tokyo, for instance, English everywhere. There was tons of English everywhere. Like it was written. Like not that everyone speaks it, but for the most part, some people understood very minimal English. So it was pretty easy to get around. I learned how to read and speak some Japanese before going over, mainly read it, um, just to be able to like navigate. I hate being in a country and I don't understand things. So I, I always do that. Um, so it was dope as shit to like be in a place completely immersed in that anime all over the place for like a kid again. <laughs> like I, I was, I wasn't a big lover of ramen was not when I got over there and I, I've always loved soups. Let me just say that as a Puerto Rican kid in like growing up, I always had Lipton soup or like, like <laughs> or something like that growing up. Yeah. So I've always loved soups. But 
when I had, they, there was this hole in the wall um, that we were waiting to get like this, like uh, $85, like pork katsu sandwich that was like all the rave, but there was a long ass line. We we're like, oh, fuck it, let's go in here and get some ramen. I had ramen that was like $9. Mind you, I've never paid more than $12 in Japan for ramen, not once. And it was the greatest thing I ever had. From that point on, I had ramen the first day. I had ramen every single day, twice, twice a day. I would wake up in the mornings, I'd go to a family mart or the the uh, the, the 7-Elevens, which are magical. 7-Elevens over there are ridiculous. It's <laughs> my favorite store ever. I would go there, i get an egg sandwich, onigiri, and a, a vitamin C. That's how I started every single one of my mornings. I'd go and get some from my girl. Like we, we drink like Boss Black coffee and we get our day started. We woke up every day at like 8 a.m. just to like make sure we were out and about. At like 11 o'clock is when the, the ramen shop would open when we were in Kyoto. And I'd be right in front of that guy's door waiting every morning. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's it going? In. Yeah. And dude, it's just, it's, I fell in love because it's such a magical society where like things just work, right? It's not like they're speed running life, but things just work. Like you go in to any restaurant that is not uh like I, I mean yeah that is not a sit down like if you go into a ramen shop you purchase the ramen right at the door you like press things put in there's no awkward exchange at the end you just have your ticket you give it to the person then they call you when your food is ready you come in you sit down you enjoy your ramen and you bounce that's it that's it we went everything that you do over there requires planning because we were there for three weeks and it took me, it took me, I think maybe about a week of planning just Tokyo alone. And every morning I would get up, there was to like go get tickets for things because things would sell out. Tourism is super high over there. Of course, so I can imagine. There was a place called Suta, a Japanese soba noodle is the name of the place. It was the first Michelin star uh, ramen place in Japan. Um, that doesn't make it the best because they have their own rating system, but it makes it like world renowned. So I got up at 5 a.m. because for us here, it was 4 p.m. And that's what my body was still telling me. So I was wide awake. So I got up, took a train over a few a few prefectures over, and then I, I got a ticket. I got there at like 7.40 and I got the last ticket. They goes, oh, it's the last ticket for the day. Come back at this time. And it was like, come back at five and i was like what the hell like it had already sold out before i got there and i was there at like seven something right right so i come back later that day and you still gotta wait online it doesn't matter like you have your ticket but you're the last i was the last person so i was waiting online and we finally like we get in sit down best bowl of ramen i ever had bounce like that like you don't even get to like, like you just you you have this amazing thing you eat it, then you have to get up and leave, and you're outside still kind of like tasting the ramen, and you're like, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> so I found in that same place, I found a dope-ass arcade. And that's one thing I kept finding everywhere were awesome arcades. There were arcades everywhere. And it was, I think the new game at the time that was like the new hotness was like this Gundam game that was everywhere. I don't know what the hell it was, but it was like this Gundam game. that I know which one you're talking about. 30 cabinets 
lined up where a bunch of kids are just playing it. I'm like, what is this? I was like looking for the ST. <laughs> you know what I found a lot of over there? Street Fighter 4 cabinets. So many people play Street Fighter 4 over there. Oh, they still play that game hardcore over there. That, that game, I didn't it, it's going to have a lifespan just like ST over there. Yeah, I was getting bodied by a cami for like a good hour. But sm- the only thing I didn't like is that smoking is allowed in the arcades. So like when you're in an arcade, it'll smell like pure cigarettes. So, so like... Hey, listen, you said it yourself. You're you're a big nerd. You love that weep stuff, uh, anime. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you basically said it. The culture shock was awesome, though. Like it, was ama- said, it, it was amazing. The food was amazing. People that say that going over there and eating is expensive, full of it. Dude, I could spend $20 and have a full day of eating over there. Full day. Full day. My breakfast was like 3 bucks every morning. My lunch was like $11. If I wanted to splurge, yeah, maybe another eleven dollars. But like, if if you're gonna go as a tourist and, and you want to eat everything, then yeah, it's gonna be expensive. Of course, it's gonna be expensive. That's what any yeah. place you go to. Did you cry yeah, when we- you realized you had to leave? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cried anime tears. <laughs> you cried anime tears. Dude, I did not want to leave. It was it was crazy, dude. Like there was so much, like. I don't even know where to begin. Like, I went to every kind of animal cafe you can think of. I'm allergic to cats, and I was at a cat cafe. I was at a hedgehog cafe. Um, I went to like all the parks. Uh, Harajuku was awesome. I ate everywhere, saw all the sights. Um, I think. We did so much in Tokyo. Tokyo is a total culture shock. Um, but we spent a week in Kyoto, and that was a total different thing. Like, Kyoto is, if I could do 100 things in Tokyo in one week, I could do maybe like 12 in Kyoto. Because some things would just take an entire day. We would go up, like, we were going up uh, Mount Fushimi and Ari, and that took us like three hours to like get up to the top and like go around and chill and then come back down so like and then that was like a 40 minute bus ride kind of thing and like dude even the buses like these guys are incredible they drive so fast and when you get on you don't pay when you get on you just get it it's just like hurry up and get on the bus right you pay when you're getting off the bus uh, same thing with the train right they push people in there it's like listen we come on let's go let's let, let's just move that's different. You might like as a, even as a New Yorker, I was kind of getting bodied by the trains, like <laughs> <laughs> because like you know in New York, like if there's a turnstile, there's a turnstile. You just walk through it. And you yeah, leave. Of course, yes. No, there's a designated exit area and a designated entrance at those at those uh, train stations, like those at those platforms. So you didn't have to pay. Uh, no, you had to pay to get onto the train, and you also had to swipe your card on the way out to confirm you paid. So that was the scary part. So you should never, ever throw away any of your tickets ever when you're in Japan. You always need a ticket. You always need cash. It was all cash. So you basically get back. You get back. You get on your plane by Japan. You come back to New York. What's the first? What what was one of the first things? that you were asked about Japan by a friend, by a family member. You're all sad. You're all crying. It's like, Jesus Christ. 
did, did you need a moment to realize that, you know, you're back in New York? It was like, fuck. Well, yeah, because they were like, well, first off, I had 13-hour jet lag. Um, it's really bad. Once I finally got used to it over there, I had to come back. But <laughs> it was it was hard because people were like, oh, so how was Japan? My instant response was like, I'm going to move there. Straight up. I was like, I'm going to move there. And it's like, I, I told my girl, I was like, hey, if things ever go south between you and I, I'm moving to Japan. <laughs> Immediately. Like, just know that if things ever go south between you and I, like, I'm moving. But it's it was it was rough. Honestly, like, I got back and I was under a spell for a long time. I was studying Japanese still every day. Like, I was moving there next week. I was like... Fuck, all right, I gotta get these down. And like I was right, I was doing Duolingo every day. I was watching things, I was having conversation things on my phone, and I was like, I, I have to get this down. I have to get this down. And then I, I cook mainly Japanese food now because of that. Oh really? I cook a lot of food. Yes. A lot. Tonight I made mentanko uh mentaiko cod roe spaghetti. Oh, that sounds tasty. Jesus. That Christ. was awesome. Well, listen, it's oh, yeah. always fun when you, you know, when you have a dream and you're able to achieve it. Like you said, going to Japan was one of them. Heck, for some people, winning the EVIL title is a dream. It's always good when you get that out of the way. You know, it's it, winning a major tournament is a dream. Again, going to Japan, going to Italy, going, just doing anything. Just get that off of your bucket list. And yeah. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure when you purchase the ticket, it, it's just, you know, it's a feeling. Holy shit. It I'm was actually going to do it. What was that? I got, I got it pretty cheap that time. Oh, that's it, that's it, good, man. It, 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 it was odd because it was more expensive than like usual for that time, but I got it cheaper. And I found that when I got there, uh, I saw Justin on Instagram was putting up photos of like, oh, look at these like uh, Mario Kart people like in in Tokyo. And I was like, dude, are you in Japan? And it's like, yeah, it's it's SBO. I know it's Tokyo Game Show. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I was in Tokyo at the same time as Tokyo Game Show. And right. Go. Yeah, so, but there, there was just too much about Japan. Like, now that you asked me about it and I'm thinking about it, there were so many crazy things that happened in a day because it's so kinetic. There's so many things happening at the same time. And I'm a New Yorker. I'm used to that. But not to that level. The efficiency? Like, I wouldn't, I'm not talking about efficiency per se, but just like exhibitionism like they're, they're just like tons of street performers there were tons of like things but they were all none of them seemed like a bother you know like if you're walking down the street yes. and it's like all right everybody can clear like we want to dance and shit like it, you're kind of like oh this, this again but i guess that's how they feel because when i was over there i was like tourist mode i was like oh look the guy has a puppet like he's dancing with <laughs> <laughs> like, oh look he has a stone a statue of a dog oh hachiko let's take a photo next to it oh that's a real dog like well josh we've been talking for almost two hours now man time flies when you're having fun right he just <laughs> he just looked at his clock he's like wait what i thought we were only half an hour in yeah i didn't realize that <laughs> brother man it was fun where could people reach you where could, what are your social media outlets where people could reach you, say hi, hey, could you help me teach me that Iron Man Infinite? Yeah, um, I'm super available on Twitter. If anybody ever hits me up on there, uh, my Twitter is NYCJ360. 
Um, I've recently just put up like Battle for the Grid videos because my favorite thing to do ever is when somebody says a character sucks, I put up a bunch of TODs for a character that sucks. But, <laughs> um, well, yeah, listen, so, you're a student of every game. I've, you know, it's anybody who knows you, you, you never stop learning. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, I, I love it. So it's like, I, I answer pretty readily on Twitter. So if anybody ever has any questions or anything like that regarding anything, it's like Marvel 2, Japan, for instance, anything <laughs> like that, just reach out to me on Twitter. I'm, I'm pretty transparent. I, I answer everyone. There you go, man. So I don't have a YouTube channel and a Twitch, all the same thing, NYCJ360. My Twitch is actually New York's J360, spelled out. And also, uh, guys, if you want to see him in action, uh, again, what's his name, Brett? He, uh, yeah. yeah, he has a YouTube channel where you can see a bunch of Marvel 2 stuff uh, featuring Josh. You've been on there a lot lately. Hey, it's entertained me, I'll tell you that much. And all those guys playing entertain me. I love watching that game. But again, two man, best, say again? Two best, sorry, quick shout out to Brett, Brett H123 on YouTube. He has a huge archive of Marvel 2 videos. Another one, if you want really old videos, ZachD.com. Z-A-C-H-D.com. That is a guy named Preppy who traveled the States to film every tournament ever. And he has them all in WMV format. So wow. raw formats. So if you go on that website, go go check out some old footage. Oh, that's amazing, man. That's always a treasure trove. And like I told you, I forget the name of the channel, but again, a lot of old ECC stuff on there. It's just always fun seeing all that nostalgia stuff. But again, Josh, man, thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming on. Again, we, we spoke for two hours. It was a fun two hours. And guys, thank you very much. That's Josh360. And the episode will be up soon. And everybody, have yourself a great day, great evening, all that beautiful stuff. Josh. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Have a good night. All right, man. You too. That was a lot of fun. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.